Good evening and welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Cara tonight. And our topic is the love behind all loves. Uh, it's an interesting date, isn't it, friends? Because it is both Valentine's Day and, unusually, also Ash Wednesday. Now, Ash Wednesday has to do with repentance. I saw a wonderful film about Ash Wednesday today, and it just kept flashing the word repent in big letters on the screen, which I love, you know. Uh, so what does repenting, fasting, praying have to do with love and Cupid and all that sort of stuff? But I think there is actually a connection that we're going to talk about tonight. And what does that have to do with the Bible and so on? So we'll try to link all those things together. So if you'd like to come on that exciting journey, please do, good friends, and let's open with a prayer. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you are the one God of heaven and earth. We thank you, Lord God, for bowing the heavens and coming down into this world. Please teach us about love. Teach us about your love and how it relates to all the other different kinds of love in this world. Amen. Amen. Thank you all, friends. So good to see all of you here in the room. Sending love to those of you who are out there on, um, uh, online and the, getting the audio and on the phone. A great blessing to be with you. I thought in case you're new that I would uh, read a little bit about what this Bible study is about. The Spirit and Life Bible Study looks at the Bible through a Swedenborgian lens, meaning in alignment with the teachings of Emanuel Swedenborg, who was born in 1688, died in 1772. The name Spirit and Life comes from Jesus himself, who says that his words are spirit and they are life, John 6.63. And we take spirit there to mean that his words have a spiritual and heavenly meaning and purpose, and life to mean that his words are alive and aim to bring us to life by teaching us how we are to live if we wish to become spiritual and heavenly. And since Jesus is the word made flesh, as we read in John 1.14, what he says of his words we take to apply to all the words of the Bible. They all teach who he is and how we can get from the life of hell to the life of heaven. All right, the love behind all loves. Now, um, the Bible has a few love stories in it, like romantic male-female type love stories. Um, Adam and Eve, Abraham and Sarah, Jacob and Rachel, Ruth and Boaz, the Song of Songs, uh, Mary and Joseph. Uh, they don't go, it's not, the Bible is not predominantly, uh, I would say, a, a romantic source text or something, you know, that's not the main thing. It, it's in there, but, but that's not the main thing that it's about. Uh, and uh, I like the way Swedenborg approaches the word love, that there are many different kinds of love. So on Valentine's Day, often we're thinking about uh, love between partners, love between friends, uh, whatever it may be, co-workers, classmates, what have you, uh, but love between people. But Swedenborg also explains that, uh, and he uses the term love, for all kinds of different, what we might call passions and interests or, uh, um, you know, just like, I, I love this or I geek out on that or I, I'm obsessed with the other thing. You know, the, those all fit. They may not have um, directly to do with I love this other human being. It's that I love this activity, and then I love other people who also love this activity, you know, whatever it is, and uh, this pursuit. 
and so on. Um, and uh, Swedenborg breaks the the whole category. It's such a 18th century thing to do to say, well, there are four kinds of love. You know, that's just amazing. Like, really, there are. <laughs> it's it's astonishing. And he says there are, and we'll be talking about this a little bit and the biblical underpinnings of it. Uh, love of God, love of the neighbor, what he calls love of the world, and love of self. And he talks about those four and and what they mean and so on. And they all have biblical um, uh, bases that we'll be looking at a little bit. And so I want to look at the, the these four different kinds of love and how love from God pours down into those different kinds of love and look at a few scriptural references about this. So why don't we start, good friends, all the way to the left in Genesis. We'll be going as we often do from Genesis to Revelation, <coughs> but skipping here and there in between. Let's start at Genesis chapter 29 with a kind of um, romantic passage, unusual romantic passage in here. Uh, Genesis 29 Verse 20, this is about Jacob and Rachel. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. That's a neat little passage, isn't it? And and that uh, loving someone can make the burdens of life seem so much much easier. Uh, The other passages I want to swing through, let's go to the right through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, get to Deuteronomy, chapter 7. Um, this is about, there's a, there's a particular, in some ways, the biggest love story in Scripture is the story of the Lord's love for his people and and quite often especially in the prophets it'll refer to these as uh, it even gets kind of x-rated sometimes but he'll refer to these as uh, as a love relationship you know the relationship between God and his people uh, look at this verses 7 and 8 in Deuteronomy chapter 7 um, this sort of explains why the Lord loves us why is that The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all peoples. Okay, so that's why, that's not why he set his love on you, chose you. It wasn't because you were so numerous. Go on. But because the Lord loves you. Ah, there it is. The Lord loves you because he loves you. That's why. It's not because of any great, you know, attribute that you have, you're so numerous or something, but because the Lord loved you. And because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Yes, now it's pretty hidden in the literal sense there, but there's a little hint in there of what Valentine's Day might have to do with Ash Wednesday, which is that getting out of Egypt is a picture of repentance and moving away from negative behaviors. And so an evidence for the Lord's love is the fact that he saves us uh, from evil. Um, Oh, let's go into the middle of the Bible to the Psalms, shall we? I cut this list down a little bit. Let's go to Psalm 91. 
Okay, I, I just think we've got it. Let's, let's read a bunch of this. Let's start at verse 1 there, because this talks about the Lord's protection. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In Him I will trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler, and from the perilous pestilence. Yes. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. Isn't that a beautiful image? It cover you with his feathers. So this divine protection, feathers having to do with truths and coming from that divine love. He'll protect you uh, and shelter you under his wings. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Yes, and that's because you've made the Lord your, your uh, habitation. It goes on, no evil thing shall befall you. He'll give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. And then the person, if you know what I mean, shifts to where now the Lord is speaking about an individual an individual who set their love on the Lord. What does he say in verse 14 there? Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. So, it is good for us to set our love. I talked a little bit about uh, about the four loves. Isn't this the love of God that's talking about that if you set your love on the Lord, he'll deliver you, all these wonderful things will happen, save you in trouble, uh, show you salvation uh, because you set your love. So that's a little a little poem on the on the love of God and the kind of safety and refuge that can come from that love. Now turn to the right, if you will, and let's go to Psalm 109. Verses 1 to 5 there. Mm. And this sounds like the Lord speaking, doesn't it? And, and uh, like Jesus, you know, in the crucifixion or sometime like that. And what, what is his explanation for why people are mistreating him? Do not keep silent, O God of my praise, for the mouth of the wicked and the mouth of the deceitful have opened against me. They have spoken against me with a lying tongue. They have also surrounded me with words of hatred and fought against me without a cause. Uh Hatred being arguably the opposite of love, that they're hateful toward the Lord. And then he explains why they're hateful. In return for my love, they are my accusers, but I give myself to prayer. 
Thus they have rewarded me evil for good and hatred for my love. Mm. So that's the Lord's love for the human race. And uh, that was the, you know, unfortunate experience of the, of the crucifixion and so forth, other things in, in his life in the world where he came into the world with this love and he's getting hatred instead. So it's not like his love automatically provokes in us this condition we just read about before where we set our love on the Lord and therefore we get all this protection. It can be that he's showering this love and what we get is hatred. I mean, what, what we're feeling in response is hatred and uh, evil for good. And I'm interested, too, because Swedenborg hammers this point again and again and again, that there's a relationship between love and good or goodness. You know, love, love inspires us to do good to others. Hatred inspires us to do evil to them. So there's a relationship between good and love that's very clear there in that psalm. Uh, okay, let's go to the right to Isaiah, which you get pretty soon there. Let's go to Isaiah 43. Just going through on Valentine's Day, Ash Wednesday, looking at a few interesting uh, little passages here about love. Let's read the first seven verses of Isaiah 43, shall we? But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. What a beautiful passage is coming up here, another passage about protection. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Mm. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. Now, something I might prefer even more is not to have to walk through the fire, you know? <laughs> That would be nice. Would that be so bad? Or not to have to pass through water? But it still is nice to say, you know, even his presence is not going to take away the experience of walking through the water or uh, through the fire, but uh, we're not going to be drowned. We're not going to be burned and, and so on. Um, uh, the Lord will be with us. Please go on. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom. Ethiopia and Seba in your place. Since you were precious in my sight, you have been honored, and I have loved you. I have loved you. Yep, you were precious. Why did the Lord love it? Well, you were precious in my sight. It just means he's a, he's a source of love. So we're precious in his sight, and that's why he loved us. Therefore, I will give men for you and people for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. Mm. I will bring your descendants from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, do not keep them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Mm. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory. I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. Yes, that's right. It started out in verse 1 there with the created and formed and so on and redeemed. And so how the Lord shows his love is by leading us through uh, these experiences, uh, protecting us, and he's going to gather it, whether we're to the north or the south or ends of the earth or far away, you know, the Lord will gather us uh, together if we have his qualities in us, which is meant by his 
name. Everyone's called by my name. Uh, let's look at Isaiah 63, shall we? 63. Isaiah is nice and long. Let's look at verses 7 to 9. Just a, a nice little concentration of love language in here. I will mention the loving kindnesses of the Lord and the praises of the Lord according to all that the Lord has bestowed on us and the great goodness there toward, it is. toward the house of Israel. Great goodness, that's right. Go on. Which he has bestowed on them according to his mercies, according to the multitude of his loving kindnesses. Yes, multitude of loving kindnesses. That's right, isn't it? <laughs> many mercies, not just one mercy, not just one loving kindness. Many mercies, many loving kindnesses. For he said, surely they are my people, children who will not lie. So he became their savior. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. Wow. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. And he bore them and carried them all the days of old. Yeah, and then it goes on to say how they rebelled and vexed him. But we won't read that. Uh, it's a very nice passage. And um, in his love and his pity. So this connection with redemption is interesting, isn't it? That this is an act of love. Uh, that he redeems us and carries us all the days of old. Uh, and in all their affliction, he was afflicted. Like, again, it's like the waters and the fire. You know, the Lord is with us going through that affliction. Uh, next, let's turn to the right to Jeremiah chapter 31, which is one of my favorite chapters. It's got such beautiful stuff in there. And at the very beginning, there's something so gorgeous. In uh, verse 3. The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. There it is. That, to me, is sort of the core about what we're talking about tonight. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I've drawn you. All these images in the redemption, everything we've been reading tonight... It, it, the Lord is carrying us through these difficult experiences, you know, with, with this love, taking us through these experiences. And that's just one of the clearest statements in all of Scripture. I've loved you with an everlasting love, therefore with love and kindness have I drawn you. That's why he pulls us through this experience. Again, it hints just ever so slightly at the connection between Ash Wednesday and Valentine's, which is that that repentance, uh, the Lord carries us through that process of laying aside evil and redeeming us from, from that, that hell. Um, so with loving kindness, he has drawn us. All right, we're going to plunge into the minor prophets, good friends. Uh, let's turn to the right through Ezekiel and Daniel. And the first one you get to is Hosea. And stop right there. Let's read Hosea chapter 2, verses 14 to 20. Why don't we do that? There's a nice little mention in here, by the way, of singing having to do with this, with this love. Therefore, behold, I will allure her. I will bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her. Now, again, this is one of those passages where it's talking about all the people as an image of the love of the Lord's life, you know, that, that he's, he's bringing these people through the wilderness and so on. Go on. 
I will give her her vineyards from there and the valley of Achor as a door of hope. What a nice expression that is, huh? A door of hope. That's nice. She shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt. Mm. Yes, look at that. So that's very explicitly about coming up out of the land of Egypt and singing. Uh, there is a powerful story, is there not, like in Exodus 15, when the children of Israel get out of the land of Egypt and then their enemies die in the Red Sea. They all sing songs and rejoice and, uh, on the shore. And she's going to sing there as in the days of her youth as when she came up out of the land of Egypt. I think when you really do your repentance right and the Lord saves you or something, there's just singing in your heart about it. And this is a neat thing in verse 16. And it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me my husband and no longer call me my master. Yes. Okay. So that... that that relationship with the Lord is is going to get better. And it's not just going to be, you're my master, but there's a, a, a love relationship there. Go on. For I will take from her mouth the names of the Baals, and they shall be remembered by their name no more. In that day I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, with the birds of the air, and with the creeping things of the ground. Bow and sword of battle I will shatter from the earth to make them lie down safely. There's that idea of protection again. And then this beautiful passage. I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. Yes, very nice. Um, that's beautiful. To me, that's sort of the heart of what the whole love thing <laughs> is all about. That that love. That's the love behind all loves that we're talking about tonight. I want to get into that a little more in a little bit. Let's turn to the right and plow on through this dangerous territory of the minor prophets. We'll go through. Uh, I want to get to Zephaniah. So it comes up after Habakkuk. If you get to Zechariah or Matthew, gone too far, back up a little bit. It's the fourth to last one in there, Zephaniah. Uh, chapter 3, just going to read a single verse from here. But it's another one that has some uh, love and singing in it. 317. 17. The Lord your God in your midst, the Mighty One, will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will, he will rejoice over you with singing. Yes. Now, the first time, it was the uh, other party who was singing, right? The Lord was going to bring us through the wilderness. We'd be singing and so on. Um, in this one, it's the Lord who's singing. He's rejoicing over us with joy, and he rests in his love and uh, rejoices over us with singing. So it's so powerful, like... Without revelation, how would we know? How would we know there's a God? How would we know that God loves us? I don't know how we would ever figure that out. It's so nice that we have it written down like that. Let's turn to the New Testament and go into the book of John. Again, thinking about the connection between love and repentance. Uh, let's look at John 14, verse 15. 
a little recipe for the love of God. How do you do that? If you love me, keep my commandments. Aha, uh -huh. there you go. And look down at verse 21. And he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Okay, so the keeping of the commandments, i.e. repentance and so on, is how we do our loving of God. That's how we come into love of God. Uh, okay, and you see down in verse 23, he says, if anyone loves me, they'll keep my words, and so on. Uh, same kind of idea. Um, and let's look at John 15. Start at 9 and go down to 17. How about that? As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. Aha, so joy is another word that seems to go with love here. And we've heard that before, haven't we? Rejoice, singing, so on. Go on. This is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. Oh, okay. So here we go. So I talked about love of God and then love of the neighbor, love one another, love of the neighbor, right? So the, love one another as I have loved you. Okay, so that's a link between love of the neighbor and love of God. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Yes, and then he says something similar to what we just read in the Old Testament. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I heard from my father I have made known to you. Isn't that the same thing about how the relationship's going to improve? It used to be that he was the boss kind of thing, and now he's describing it as a friendship. It's a closer relationship. Go on. This is another just favorite of mine at 16 here. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. Yes, love one another. So love of the neighbor and how it relates to love of God is all encapsulated in there. We'll hopefully talk about that a little more in a bit. And, uh, okay, all right, maybe it's time to bring out the mighty chart. Shall we release the chart? Okay, the visual? Okay, for those of you getting the audio, as usual, nothing to write, huh? <laughs> but it's a picture here. It's got a sun at the top that's just like radiating love down. Here's all this love pouring down. This is love coming down from God. And then I've got kind of four sets of shapes below that. There's a semicircle at the top that I've called love of God that kind of bounces that light back up toward God. Then there are two sort of flat mirrors at the sides that bounce it out toward other people, which is love of the neighbor. In other words, we're talking about the love behind all loves, that there's one way of receiving that love that it turns into love of God. There's another way that it bounces out and goes to other people. That's love of the neighbor. Then there's two mirrors that kind of face inward 
that I call love of the world, and I've got a nice dollar sign there. Could be your currency if you're in Australia, something else. I don't know, you know. But to substitute your currency here, and uh, and then down at the bottom, there's a another mirror, but turned the other way up, facing downwards. That focuses all those rays into one point: the love of self. Uh, Swedenborg explains in such a helpful way to me that uh, that really, how should I put this? Hell is entirely unoriginal. They are, it's, it's not creative. All you do is take something nice that the Lord made, flip it upside down, call it your own. You know, it's, so it all comes from the Lord, but it can be turned inside out. What did we read in that psalm? That the Lord is putting forth this love and people are turning it into hatred and bouncing it right back to him as hatred. You know, that's like this love of self, hatred of God type of thing. Uh, that's what they turned that love into. Uh, it's still originated from the Lord. It's just twisted, right? Uh, it's just twisted upside down. Same with love of the world. I should hasten to explain, in case you haven't heard this before, good friends, um, that uh, love of the world might sound like a wonderful thing, like you give to you know Yosemite National Park or something like that. Uh, that's not what uh, Swedenborg's talking about. He's talking about that kind of rampant desire to accumulate wealth and just prizing that above all else. And what he says about these loves is that if they're in this order, love of God at the top and then love of the neighbor next and then love of the world and then love of self, they all actually perfect you and they're all fine. But how can you tell when your love of the world get, is bigger? Well, that's when you would like make money by creating something that actually poisons the human race or something like that. But you feel fine about that because you made your money. You know, that would be love of the world trumping love for the neighbor, uh, love of self trumping the love of God would be like sure I don't mind all that other stuff, but it's got to serve me as my footstool. Uh, because the most important thing is me and all eyes should be on me, you know, kind of thing. It, it's uh, So love of self. So when those things are in the right place, they're fine. But if they get the upper hand, it's it's very bad. So now uh, it intrigues me a great deal because some of you are aware of this thing that in some of Swedenborg's works, he doesn't uh, quote from the Acts and Epistles. And so some people who follow his works uh, don't, don't read that material and don't pay much attention to it. What, and yet they pay a lot of attention to this idea of love of God, love of the neighbor, love of the world, love of self, not realizing that these terms, love of the world and love of self, uh, and more stuff about the relationship of love of God and love of the neighbor are, are housed in those epistles. And so we'll look at some of those passages where you, where you read a little bit about these other things. Uh, I think what Swedenborg did was take that teaching and kind of even organize it a little more and say, this is up here, this is here, and all that. But you see the roots of it in here. Let's go, good friends. So let's voyage to the right, past Acts. And I want to go back to 1 Timothy. So you go through Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, that sort of thing, Colossians. And if you get to Hebrews, you've gone too far. It's after Thessalonians. 1 Timothy chapter 6, let's look at verses 6 to 11, what do we read here? 
But you, O man of God. Oh, uh, where are you? First uh, Timothy chapter six, verse eleven. Verse. Start at verse six. I'm sorry. And two eleven. Oh. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. That's right. And having food <laughs> and clothing, with these we shall be content. Yes. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Mm. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Mm. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, Gentleness. That's right. So uh, those things are opposite of each, uh, of each other, right? What does he say? Flee these things. That's that's the same as Swedenborg's word shun. Like uh, avoid this. Avoid falling into this temptation of this pursuit of riches that lure you into many foolish and hurtful lusts where you just, oh, I'm crazy. I can't stop thinking about this. And, you know, and Swedenborg talks about how when these lower loves take over, they are a bottomless pit. I, they just cannot be satisfied. You know, uh, that's part of what makes them uh, hellish is that they, ne- they you'd never get to that abundance or, or satisfaction. It's all, it's always got to be more. And, uh, and so you pierce yourself through with many sorrows because you're turning this love of God kind of in an inward direction about, about this wealth. And uh, so it says, flee these things and go instead, repent, and go instead after uh, a list of things, one of which is love. Um, so that shows you something about the relationship of what I would call here love of the world. It doesn't use that phrase here, uh, but it does talk about the desire for riches and the love of money, doesn't it? Let's talk about the love of money. Okay, that's a great one. How about 2 Timothy? Turn to the right. 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 to 4. Which love are we talking about here? <coughs> but know this, that in the last days... Perilous times will come. Uh-oh, so this is when the human race goes downhill at some future point from the point of view of the writer. And what will people be like at that time? For men will be lovers of themselves. Oh, would that have something to do with, I don't know, love of self, perhaps? They will be lovers of themselves, yes. And what sort of characteristics would you say go along with such a malady? Lovers of money, boasters, proud blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Okay. And go ahead. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And from such people, 
turn away. Turn away from people like that. That's right. Uh, do you feel strongly about this, Paul? Um, <laughs> wow, that's quite a list, isn't it? <laughs> so isn't that an interesting description of love of self? You don't see exactly that sort of unpacked in that nice, clear way in the Gospels. Not knocking the Gospels. Uh, Swedenborg says that the epistles are more doctrinal as opposed to the correspondences that are in the Gospels and so on. And here you get some pretty clear doctrine, pretty clear teaching about love of self, that it has these characteristics. You know, and love of self is not about just taking care of yourself, moisturizing properly, getting eight hours of sleep. You know, no, it's talking about lording it over others, that you are the greatest good. If somebody's your friend, then you're friends with them. As soon as they say one word of criticism, they're your enemy. You know, that's the nature of, of what we're talking about here with this, with this love of self. So isn't that an interesting passage? Uh, denying the power. And what did it say? Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. That's the problem, right? Something else was more important than the love of God that should have been at the top here. As soon as that's relegated to the bottom, then you've got all these problems, this sort of diagnosis here in these, in these uh, verses. Now, let's go to the right, and we'll go through Hebrews and James and Peter. I want to get to 1 John. Okay, first epistle of John, which has some wonderful stuff about all this. Look at John chapter 2, 1 John. Uh, verses 15 to 17 there. See which love we might be talking about here in this passage. Do not love the world. Oh, or might the... that be talking about, I don't know, <coughs> love of the world perhaps? Okay. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Ah, you see again, friends that when this is primary, the love of the world down at the bottom here, then that takes precedence over the love of God. Then you don't have that love of God in there in the same way because this, you know, it doesn't just mean that you like things or that you enjoy pleasure for some sick reason or something. You know, that's not what it's talking about. But it's talking about that this is the thing that you love above all. You know, that you, tre this is your, what does it say about treasure? You know, treasure in heaven and that type of thing. This is what you treasure above all else. And if you treasure the world more than anything, there's not room for the love of the Father in there. Go on. For all that is in the world. Interesting little list of three things here. The lust of the flesh. Ah, uh, the lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes. And the pride of life. The pride of, interesting, we got pride with the love of self too, didn't we? Love of the world, pride in both, okay? Okay, so for, for all that is in the world is not of the Father, but is of the world. Mm. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Ah, there's that abiding. Didn't it say in that psalm about abiding in the shadow of the Almighty and so on? The idea of that permanence that I've loved you with an everlasting love. Uh, the problem with the world is that it, it passes away. It gets, it gets old. Swedenborg describes, as you may have read at the beginning of his work on marriage, love, and 
in the back of True Christianity somewhere as well, same stories about people who have these ideas about what heaven is going to be like, and they get old in about three days. You know, they don't turn out to be eternal joys uh, because these things, these things get old. They don't have that eternity in them in the same way. But doing the will of God, which again, I think has something to do with repentance and being a loving, you know, good person. Uh, he that does the will of God abides forever. Love of the world. Did we get love of self? We did. Love of the world? Yep, we did. Love of riches? Yep. Pleasures? Yep. Okay, let's look at 1 John 4, because this same epistle goes on to say wonderful things about love. In fact, dear reader, mm. if you have the lungs for it, if you could get through this entire chapter, <laughs> I right. would be grateful. Okay. Beloved... Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Oh, interesting point. Test the spirits to see whether they're of God. Well, how are you going to tell whether they're of God or not? Hmm. By this, you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Okay, that's, that's, uh, that's one indicator. That's great. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. Hmm. It makes me think of that the Lord puts out love and then he gets hatred in return. You know, what's the Antichrist would, would be hatred, right? Four. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Yes, there again, that idea of redemption or getting over these things, overcoming them. Go on. They are of the world. Oh, of the world. Okay. Therefore, they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Yes, and in case that's unclear, here we go. Beloved, let us love one another. Oh, love one another. That would be love for our neighbor, right? Love one another, okay? For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Now that is really, really beautiful, isn't it? That, that, that love is of God. So it mentioned before about a sort of a more truth-related thing about whether the spirits confess that Jesus came in the flesh or not. But now it's talking about love. Here's, here's another indicator of what's of God and what isn't. Well, love is of God. Uh, and so everyone who loves, is born of God and knows God. Go on. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God is love. That's one of two verses in Scripture where it's stated that baldly. God is love. Okay? Mm -hmm. That's why this sun at the top of my chart here is radiating love down. Okay? In this, the love of God was manifested toward us. That God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Yes, that's right. It's like John 3.16. You know, it's all about love, the Lord coming into the world. 
In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Interesting point. It's not that we loved God, even though lots of passages talk about the need for us, love the, you know, the Lord with all your heart and with all your mind and so on, and love your neighbor as yourself. But uh, it says it's not that we loved God, but that he loved us. That, this is where love comes from, is his love for us. This is the love behind all loves. Go on. Uh, are we at 11? 11, we are. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Ah, there's a link between God's love for us and our love for each other. No one has seen God at any time. Interesting point to make right there. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. Yes, perfected. His love is perfected in us. Okay, go on. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. Oh, look at that. There's a connection between faith and love, right? We've known and believed the, God, the love that God has for us. And, drumroll please, Number the second two. and only other passage in which we're told that... God is love. Yes, thank you. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. That's a fun passage to just commit to memory, good friends. That if you abide in love, you are abiding in God, and God is abiding in you. And that's so much of what Scripture is all about, trying to achieve that reciprocal relationship. Go on. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. A little bit cryptic there, but it seems like it has something to do with us being sort of like the Lord to others, you know what I mean? As he is, so are we in this world. And then it talks about fear. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. Mm. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. There you go. So he loves us, then we love back. That's how it works. That's the love behind all loves, is that the Lord's love comes out, and then we echo that back. Go on. If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. Uh-oh. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, how can he love God, whom he has not seen? Good point, I feel. I feel <laughs> that that is a good point. <laughs> and this commandment we have from him that he who loves God must love his brother also. Ah, okay. So there's a direct connection between the love of God and love of the neighbor that if you'd say, oh, no, I'm all full of love, but you're not really loving your neighbor, then, then that's, that's a lie. It, it doesn't work that way. And turn to the right, just two more little passages here, good and patient friends. In Second John, verses 5 and 6, I mean... Just very much like other things we've read. And now I plead with you, lady, 
not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. That's the commandment, yep. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. Okay, so there's a direct connection between the way that we live our lives following those commandments, which is a connection between repentance, Ash Wednesday, and so forth, with that love. And and we, we have to walk in it. It's not enough just to think it or believe it or whatever. It's um, we, we have to be practicing that. Uh, and turn to the right to Revelation. Yoo-hoo, we went from Genesis to Revelation. Revelation chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. Uh, Ends on a beautiful but also challenging note here in verses 19 and 20. As many as I love, says the Lord, I rebuke and chasten. Oh. Therefore be zealous and repent. Ah, see the word love and repent in the same verse. Yep. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him. And he with me. Yes, that's the famous uh, standing at the door and knocking passage. And so his love doesn't mean that we won't go through the water and that we won't go through the fire and, and whatever. As many as loves, he's, he rebukes and chastens. Uh, but he wants us to repent because repentance allows us to reciprocate that love. So let's just meditate on this a little bit uh, more for a second, shall we? This idea that all love comes from the Lord and showers down, it's the source of all love. There's nothing new under the sun. You know, the Lord's been radiating this love out all the time. But our receiving vessel turns it into different things depending on how we're oriented. If we have uh, evils in us and so on, uh, which we're born with inclinations to those things, to love ourselves more than God and the world more than our neighbor, that's our sort of default setting when we come into this world, Swedenborg says. Um, then we have a tendency to turn that love that's flowing into us all the time, uh, upside down and inside out, into something that the Lord did not intend, where we're being self-centered or we're being you know, money-grubbing or, or whatever form it takes. Uh, that's when love of self and love of the world are dominant in us. And so we need to repent, lay those things. This is what repentance has to do with love, is that we need to lay those things aside so that we come into that love for our neighbor and love of God that we've been reading about in here and how those things connect with each other. And I like this kind of idea, this idea of sort of mirrors, that the same love is coming down, but you can kind of direct it in a different way. It can go, and Swedenborg says that some of the angels are more about love of the neighbor and some are more about loving the Lord, and so, you know, just the, the orientation or the focus is is different. But it's all that love from the Lord. Swedenborg uses this amazing phrase sometimes, love from the Lord to the Lord. You know, so you, you receive that and it, and it bounces back because uh, we're, we're good ground. We're, we're bouncing that back because we've been through some repentance. So... Um, I don't know how you feel, good friends. Uh, I can't see inside your souls, thankfully. But um, 
the whole topic of love can be kind of painful, a thing like Valentine's Day. It can be wonderful in some ways, but it can also bring up painful things because anything having to do with the heart and with love uh, is subject to an equal and opposite amount of pain if it's lost or if you're disappointed or you wished for this or that didn't happen or, or you're grieving or the loss of someone, all those kind of things. And so love in this world, it's amazing, isn't it? Because there's so many things uh, that could conspire to crush our hearts. And yet I look at the culture, and even in this crazy culture that we live in, isn't there this enduring idea? This may be a silly example, but uh, don't you have something called romantic comedies or something? And there's this enduring idea that there's going to be love. It's going to be transformative. And sometimes it doesn't work out like he loves her, but she's not ready. And then she loves him, but he's now with someone else. And then, you know, and you do the whole drama thing and all that. Um, but isn't there some idea behind there, even though love hurts so much, uh, so much of the time, isn't it true that we don't collectively, some of us individually do and we come and go, but I, I see us collectively as not giving up on the ideal of it at some level. You know, there's some idea in our minds that that's the greatest thing ever. And I'm talking, you know, I really think it's talking about the love of God and love of the neighbor. Uh, it's beautiful when that's reflected in this individual, you know, one-on-one -on -one relationship and all that. But I think all these different kind of loves apply and loves for lots of other things. This map just has love of God, love of the neighbor, love of the world, love of self. But it doesn't talk about, um, you know, love for art or music or, you know, in inventing things or designing cities or, or tons of different things that people can do that they feel passionate about and that are constructive and helpful to others that are really forms of love of the neighbor. It just might not be actually showering someone who's right in front of you with love. It may be sitting on your computer designing something that will make life better for other people, that sort of thing. Um, uh, so this is how that love behind all loves wants to come down. Uh, this is both why love is so enduring, I think, and also why it, it human love, uh, am I wrong it can have an element of disappointment in it. <laughs> you know, like sometimes other people can channel the Lord into your life in a given situation. It's just like, here's this wonderful love coming. But then there's other times when that's not what's happening or something. You know what I mean? And uh, so I think that's why I thought it was important on Valentine's Day to think about the love behind all of this. I kept thinking, getting ready for this Bible study of the image of the sun... And then the sun shines out. It's just this blasting love and light that's radiating all the time in all directions constantly. Uh, what is the temperature of deep space? 455 degrees below zero Fahrenheit, give or take. Two and a half Kelvins, right? It's freezing out there. <laughs> the love, the, the sun is just radiating love. And much of the universe just doesn't have a clue. You know, the, it, it just, what? Uh, there are places out there, what you need for heat is two molecules, two atoms, something to bang into each other. 
They say there are places in space where the atoms are literally many miles apart. You know, <laughs> the next atom is like way over here. So the chances of being, you know, and creating any heat is like not going to happen, you know. And so it's freezing. It's just barely above absolute zero out there. And yet, somehow in an unseen way, that heat is traveling through space, that radiant heat. And if it strikes something, it'll get warm. It strikes the planet. The planet warms right up. It strikes, strikes one of those, uh, you know, the comets. And aren't they like the whole trail is because they're bubbling and boiling because of the sun is just making them effervesce and, uh, and throwing. So as soon as that light struck and heat strikes something, it heats up. The reason I mention this is that I think we can live our lives sometimes out in deep space where you can really think that I'm not sure there is a God. I'm not sure there is any love coming from that God. I'm like two and a half Kelvins right now or something. And, and you, can, you can feel like uh, it's invisible and like, what is that? What, what's, what is the love of God? Uh, but if we can do this repentance and get our vessels turned around in the right way, you can be a, a planet. I was reading something about the objects around us in space. I was very interested to learn that actually around our Earth, the average temperature sounds pretty good in space around us is about 50 degrees Fahrenheit. The uh, problem is... That's an average of when the sun's shining on you, you're 248 degrees Fahrenheit. And as soon as it's not, you're minus 148 degrees Fahrenheit. So it averages out to 50, but it's not a very pleasant environment. But um, uh, so it shows you how quickly when something is responding to that sun. Didn't people, some people here may have experienced during the, uh, I didn't get to experience it myself, but friends told me that when they were in the total eclipse this summer, like it was hot blazing hot, you know, down in the Carolinas or something, and that sun goes out, whew, temperature just drops like 20 degrees in a half a minute, you know, uh, because that sun is sustaining that heat all the time, and as soon as something comes in the way, whoa, there goes, there goes the heat. Um, when we realize through our repentance that the Lord is the source of the love that we feel, uh, it you know, gradually as we go through repentance, we can start to realize, oh, that's, that's actually the one true love. That is the real thing. This, the Lord, is, I think, what we're all at some deep level, I don't know who do I mean by all, but uh, are we not in our souls, are our angels not madly in love with that love? That's the love. Humans disappoint us. We go through pain and loss and all this stuff. But there is a love somewhere. When we're in deep space, we're, we're not feeling it. There's this distant little star or something. We don't know what that's about. But as you go through your repentance and start to turn these vessels around and everything, you start to realize this is where, this is the true and pure love. That's where your love comes from that you feel for your for your neighbor. It makes a day like Valentine's fun when you actually have any love for your neighbor because it's sort of heartwarming to go around and give little dumb, you know, um, things with little puns in them, you know. 
and <laughs> to people or, or, or those little heart candies or whatever it is uh, because there's love flowing into your heart and going out to other people and it's a fun, it's a fun um, day. And the love of God that can seem so abstract, like what do you mean? Like I can't see you, but I'm sending out love. You know, it's all about following those commandments, right? It's about doing that repentance and following the commandments because then we can really come into this state where we've got that, you know, dish that's really receiving that from the Lord and and warming us up. And that warmth, by the way, is uh, uh, that the growth of that love, uh, if you express it as just physical temperature, it might freak you out, but, but uh, the, the love in our hearts can get warmer and warmer to eternity. We're, we're designed that way. That's why the Lord wants us to love him and love our neighbor and not get overly tangled up in love of the world and love of self uh, because that'll take us out of that love and we'll be, we'll be chilly. You know, Swedenborg describes people who come up and sort of breathe on him and they're, they're just freezing inside because they don't have that, they didn't, didn't receive that love from the Lord in their hearts. So, in conclusion, good friends, there are many kinds of love. Some are good, some are evil, but there's ultimately one love behind them all. And it may sometimes seem invisible to us, but it actually is the only love that is true and pure and utterly, eternally reliable. Thank you, good friends. Let's close with a prayer, shall we? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you're the one God of heaven and earth. We thank you, Lord, for loving us with an everlasting love and with loving kindness drawing us. Bit by bit, we come into a state where we can see that you have brought us along, that you are the stability, that you are the great love of our lives. We thank you, Lord, for being there for us, for redeeming us, Please help us on our journey toward you and help us to love each other. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's keep on repenting, friends. It'll warm up in ourselves.